Good morning with a side of festive vibes for each and every one of you out there in podcast land. Today, as the day continues, regardless of my schedule, I remind myself that the big ideas depend on small successes. And the goal is more about enjoying those little moments that the journey brings. Now let's get this day started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Play hard, work hard, morning show. My name is Jason Spees, that is Sterling, and oh goodness, we're doing our, what, once a week, twice a week show for the it's month of July? daily show once a week. That's right, maybe twice, <laughs> maybe this week, maybe three next week, who knows? like to keep you guessing. Hey, we're busy. Either way, we Summertime, do have right? daily interviews that are still being put up at thecrudelife.com, so even though the morning show is kind of doing a little halftime as we go to our family events and do our kids' ball games and even... Uh, Go to conferences and actually work. Yeah, actual work stuff. <laughs> We've been doing more work than family, yeah. let's be honest here. Well, Look parades. at me trying to be positive. <laughs> hey, we've been ball games and beaches, baby. When really it's been uh, crap, another That's, four you know, hours of emailing and uh, crossing the T's, dotting stuff. the I's. You know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind all the fun here. So, anyways, folks, thank you for joining us here at the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. That is Sterling. He comes to us through Dahran, Saudi Arabia, where he spent a portion of his childhood, actually his childhood, because his dad worked for Ramco, because it was Ramco then. Yeah, it was a Ramco. Yep, I think before it's, then Standard Oil. Yeah, and now I think it's well, it's usually a Ramco, Saudi Aramco. It's it's been nationalized. They it's actually own it. a Ramco. A Ramco. A Ramco a because Ramco. because we tag them occasionally in mm-hmm. our social media. With their nine million followers, yeah. which are basically their employees. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. It's most of the country. <laughs> yes. um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, how many years are you over there? Ten, fifteen, eight? Yeah, about twelve years. 12? Yeah, okay. my my dad was over there for almost twenty till he retired. And but yeah, that's where I grew up from basically second grade until I was in college. And how did you guys celebrate the Fourth of July? Well, you know, they didn't have anything against us celebrating the 4th of July, but you couldn't really have any fireworks. No, that would probably lead to World War III, <laughs> right? <laughs> we used to go downtown, and there was a place in the back corner of a some side street where you could buy bottle rockets. So we'd get bottle rockets. But usually my parents would have a big party. They would make uh, homemade moonshine and wine, and everybody would get toasted and... Celebrate freedom, man. So we should pro And this, for some of you folks who have been with us since day one, yes, thank you very much, but also... What's Send your, more money. What you're about to hear, it's a rerun. <laughs> so Sterling, uh, when his dad, when Sterling's family lived in Dahran, alcohol was illegal, and I believe yeah. it's still illegal. Yeah, it's illegal in the country. In the yeah. country. Yeah. But they would look the other way. Yes. <laughs> in the base, in the compound, which is not even the case anymore. A lot of compounds now are alcohol-free, to right. be honest. Dry zones, yeah. So in order to kind of, you know, wink, wink, skirt, skirt, look the other way, 
they would actually have stills in the blueprints down mm-hmm. in the basement of and it's amazing you guys would even have or was it you didn't have basement no it wasn't a basement but there was there was a little side utility room next side, to the garage then the then the plans the actual plans for those houses was called the still room it had a floor drain it had a water supply it had a little sink it was basically set up that it it was before we moved there but they yeah the company actually used to give employees stills these beautiful looking brass stills with gauges and had the company's logo on it. No, I don't I'm just think kidding. it went that far. My dad actually has a plan for the stills, too. Blueprints. I was going to say, you go to trade shows and they're giving out barley and hops, you know, and instead of candy. Well, you know something about a big company like Aramco is that anything that they had had a blueprint. Right. Right. So if there was a still, there was a blueprint for it somewhere. That's so funny, right? Because they, they just hand it to the engineers yeah, exactly. and chunk it out an hour yeah. later like well, a Harry It's bureaucracy, book. right? You have to have a copy, a process, document, all that kind of jazz. But no, by the time my dad was living there, he was making his booze in, um, you know, those clear water jugs. And uh, oh, for gross, for real, you know, those big clear water. Oh, I know exactly. I know know. what you're talking about. Yes, my dad used to make wine, occasionally beer, and on uh, rare occasions, he'd make the what we called Siddiqui, which is essentially about 180 proof first run moonshine. Yeah, I've actually heard of the Siddiqui. Yeah, Yeah. you start your car with the stuff, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> takes the <coughs> shell off of a snail. Right. No, right? it's a, what's the saying from uh, spies like us? It'll strip the paint off your house and give your family a permanent orange afro. <laughs> it's only <laughs> legal uses to remove varnish <laughs> off of boats. Right? I mean, right. It's, yes, it's a uh, Ron Swanson special mash. Family ma- the mash. Family recipe. You bet. Uh, so that's interesting, though, when you think about it, because. That's basically what pot was in the 80s and 90s for Americans. Yeah. Was you had to have a, a, a grow room in your closet. Right, your secret little you know, space. Exactly. Yeah. You got to hide yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm not sure if oil companies were giving out plans for those. Probably but, but not. maybe. Who knows? Now, it, yeah, I'll tell you, outside of the compound in, in the country of Saudi Arabia, drugs are, are life imprisonment or maybe death. I now, mean, you actually have friends that are still in prison. I had, there was a guy I knew growing up that got caught stupid too he was smuggling stuff out of the country he'd already gotten it into the country for his vacation decided to take it with him when he left i think it was ash oh my uh got busted and as far as i know his his parents were fired within about 48 hours they had to leave the country and uh oh for real because oh the kids actions impacted the parents employment huh yeah yeah. so you know growing up one of the things my mom and dad my mom more than my dad used to instill in me was that if i screwed up we were going to lose our job have to leave the country. That's a lot of pressure for a kid, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, they never got fired. So <laughs> Son, I must have done something right. <laughs> it's like that Simpsons episode when they get into sports, 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 right. sports. Bart, you're so good at sports, you can sit in the front seat. <laughs> and then when he wins, he's like, here you go, Bart. Here's your turtle back yeah, gives alive him- <laughs> and well. <laughs> if you lost, that turtle was coming back dead. Pretty much. Yep. That's one of my favorite Simpsons <laughs> moments. No pressure on this game at all. Well, now when that's such a dad sports moment oh, right totally. there, right? Yeah, well, it's, we're it's, living vicariously through our kids. Well, and South Park did a great episode where basically it was uh, Randy, the father, mm-hmm. training 
to be the father that fights the okay. other dads the other in the dads. stands. Right. So it followed his storyline about how he's going to state. So he's getting ready to fight the other dad right. who's ready to go for state. And so it's the dads out in the stands fighting each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, my kid's better than you. And they just throw down. Yeah, you want to throw down? Come on, bro. It's oh, just man. awesome. Oh, man. You know, I've seen so many videos over the last year or two of like mini league, you know, kids games getting interrupted by parents fighting baseball, soccer, you know, either they're upset at a call or something like that. So you got these like eight year old kids standing in the field watching their grown parents beat each other up. Oh, so I've got a good story for you. I used to uh, referee quite a bit. So I helped start a uh, church league basketball game here in the Fargo Moorhead area. That sounds like it was brutal. No, it was it was it was actually it turned into quite a league for about 10 years. Really? It had a good 10 year run because there was there was a time when the athletes were a little bit bigger than the school. Okay. And so some really good kids were getting cut. And they didn't have really anything to do, right? And so uh, with the help of Craig Ritchie, we went and, and secured uh, some high school gyms. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, some uh, junior high gymnasiums and church gymnasiums that were big enough to house this thing. Right. And what we did is we just floated it to all the schools and said, hey, if you've gotten cut or you've always wanted to play basketball, Mm -hmm. we got a league for you. It's the everyone league. It's $15, okay, but you get a jersey, you get 12 games, Mm -hmm. you get referees for those games, and you get a tournament at the end of the year. Sweet. The games were Saturday night. They Mm -hmm. started at 5 o'clock, and the last one went till 10 o'clock. Okay. And so you had different – but – we, so the first year, we had 13 teams of eight. Damn. Okay. So you had a league. When I left, because uh, I I, grad, I was part of it in high school and then uh, was a referee and helped general manage it for mm. a few years and that sort of thing, we had 34 teams of eight. And the reason we had eight players is because everybody played them. Right. Everybody, everybody got played. rotated in. And, right. Even the, the kid who was – we had a kid who had no hands, and he played. Wow. He had no hands. We called him the general. The general. Well, that nice. hey, we want to empower him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and I got a story about that too. So uh, we'll, we'll first we'll get into the story about the Little League parents fighting here because this is where we're at. <laughs> I just wanted to set the stage. This was a church league, okay? So all, all of the – but it, but also it was called Beer League because okay. afterwards everybody, everybody would go drink. Beer, yeah, right. but it, this was a great way to get your intramural basketball Absolutely. league in, and then some of the guys would go have a party afterwards, and the, or people would go watch Saturday Live. But for four or five hours, mm-hmm. you had good, clean fun with wholesome activity – in a real setting, we had announcers at the game. We had a, a scoreboard. Nice. We had referees. We had uh, uh, hundreds of people would watch. Sure, it was Saturday night primer, yeah. fun to do, right? And half the kids, kids would, probably felt great. It's like legitimizes what they're doing. Oh, totally. And, yeah, and so it was legitimate competition, right? Yep. So the tournament. By the way, the the, the tournament uh, champions, the championship game was to be played in the Fargo Dome dur- before. Third and fourth place game before, mm-hmm. championship game after, the CBA team. Back then, it was the Fargo Fever. Okay. So, we actually had it to where it was televised on local access. Right. But think about this. You're a kid with no hands. Right. And you're named the general. And you get put on the best team in the league, the kid that can dunk. So, <laughs> you're in the championship game. On TV. On TV. 
with announcers calling you the general. Oh, man. They called him the general. You're, oh, yeah, because I was the announcer. Yeah, you got to do I, that. I was the sports awesome. announcer, right? So, oh, we would make up stuff. They call him the pirate because look at him steal. Because we, <laughs> we didn't know anything about right, these kids, right? right? right we yeah. were trying to learn. and so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some fun color commentary. So here the general gets the ball in the Fargo Dome with thousands of people there that stuck around afterwards to see what's going on after the CBA game. Right. Oh, there's another game going on with a bunch of high school kids. So there's probably a thousand people there. Nice. This kid with no hands is out there, launches up a Stefan Curry three, right? Right. Swish. Swoop. Place goes electric. (laughs) The general, the general, the general. That's awesome. Place is going wild. Yeah. So here's this kid with just... That's got, cool, got man. ushered out, basically. Yeah, empowered. And- oh, totally. So anyway, getting back to the tournament, how, how we started. Well, every year we'd have a bunch, of, a bunch of football teams. By the way, there was a draft, too. Wow. So there was a draft okay. to start the whole league off as the, everybody got a draft. So we would, we would do this. Well, all the, every year there was always a football player. Mm-hmm. So he would have a team of football players, right? <laughs> they were a bit rough. Yeah. They were a little physical, okay? You can't tackle the point guard. <laughs> they were usually a 500 team. Because uh, they would, you know, they would fall out half the time, and the other half of the time, they would, you know, they, they were good athletes, yeah. so they were above and beyond. Well, uh, first round, uh, they they were the 16 seed, so they were the last seed, right? They barely made it in. Okay. Um, and they took on the one seed. Well, that was down to the wire. This was one of those games everybody was watching, okay. like, and all the other games were done, so. All the every, what's going everybody, on over everybody, there. Yeah. All the money gyms. starts changing hands. Side bets going on. You bet. <laughs> well, I'm refereeing this game. Oh, doctor. Oh, I'm refereeing. No pressure. No and pressure. I'm refereeing with a rookie. <laughs> refereeing with a guy who, honestly, probably some youth director that got a call an hour before the game. Right. You got time. And we paid the refs. So okay. generally, we had paid refs. So they knew what the rules were, at least, yes, most yeah, of the and time. They, they were generally professional refs okay. or people that played basketball in the past that knew, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But every now and then, when the tournaments were going on with the high schools, you know, all the planets aligned, mm-hmm. it was tough. And so we just couldn't do it, right? So we had a rookie referee, and I do remember that because it, the game got kind of rough. Yeah, that's a tough night to start. But that was the only way that this football team was in it. <laughs> if it would have been two regular, re- the, the right. whole team would have followed would have out by out halftime. By <laughs> so we let them play. We let them play. Play well, through. Play it, got, through. it got down to the last shot. And the guy, yeah, maybe he got fouled. Maybe he didn't. We didn't call it. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the parents... Redder than a beat. Somebody took it. Redder than a Dwight Schrute beat. Came running out oh, in geez. my face. Started poking his finger in my oh, chest. Oh, you got the poke. I got the Billy Martin poke in the, the finger. Just the spray from Sergeant Slaughter, man. Just <laughs> all kinds. Of, say it. Don't spray it. And of course, I've dealt with this in the media as long as I did. So I, I I've dealt with angry people. Mm-hmm. I let them for about thirty seconds, forty-five swear up and down words that aren't even in the Bible, okay? In this church league. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's when the passion comes so, out, man. So what fire do, and brimstone. What do I do? Let's put some fuel on this fire. Yeah, let's burn it. I go, excuse me, sir, did you have a bet on this game? 
<laughs> oh boy. Well then some parents had to come in because right. his arm went back like he was gonna swing gonna at yeah. me. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, I should see what they're up to this. Yeah, right. League's see if they're still, still, going still on. around. Oh, it still was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah it shrunk a little it's while. More like Thunderdome now. But it was so no, no, no. Oh. That was we had to get a little bit uh yeah, there was some meetings afterwards yeah. and some different protocols and that sort of thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there was a couple a couple interesting stories where, you know, some people showed up drunk and all mm-hmm. that different stuff. And that happens. I was going to yeah. say, if, if there's parents and kids involved and it's a sport, there's going to be passion. There's going to be alcoholism. Yeah. It's the American story. Right yeah. There. And I'm just talking about the parents. Yes. Right. We're not even yeah. talking, we're we're not talking about the kids. The kids, right? you know, the kids actually, they embraced it wholeheartedly. But yeah. no, there was a few kids, you know, but a lot of times... Um, we were the refuge for the the player that got kicked off the yeah. team for drinking. Oh, and then so, so you're so, like the major league guys, right? You got Charlie Sheen oh, and Wesley totally. Snipes. That's what I mean. We we had guys that could dunk. <laughs> Bad news bears. We we had guys that could dunk, and generally what we'd do is we'd put the guys that could dunk on the worst teams. Right, and spread then, it out oh, a little it, bit. It would elevate them. Like you said, the, the one guy could have beat any one of us sure. combined, and yeah. so we, he was on the generals team. <laughs> but luckily, the general got a three pointer. That's kickass. And, oh, that honestly, we still talk about that. Well, you're still day. talking about it a decade later. Imagine he. Probably Probably still thinks about it. It's two decades. Two Jesus, dude. Nothing is two decades old. Oh, my hair's more than that. Oh, it's a lot more. I got stuff under my sink Ooh, older than where'd that. Where'd the pepper go? I want some. Give me some cracked pepper right. in my hair. Now I want cracked pepper. No, no it's more of a blonde highlight. Oh, it's not Zach Morris. Okay, so oh boy, you know how I I was going to start this show actually? Because by the way, folks, like we got news ago. coming up. We got news coming up still. ESGU. Had a more had a meeting this morning. Mm-hmm. Are we accredited with, yet? With some land people. Land people about ESGU. Mm. Oh yeah. They want us to go out there and turn everything kosher, or what? Yes. Tell them we have like a special water we have to spray, and yeah. Well, I tell you, after talking to those guys I, um, and and gals or. People. people thank you there you go uh gotta be careful with pronouns nowadays man smooth as sandpaper <laughs> right there Oof. boy that was doesn't get much smoother than that okay so um this g part that's got some people worried the e of course the climate activists have control of that you know when jane fonda can come in on a plane you knew that right she flew into minneapolis or i'm sorry into wisconsin Mi- wasn't it or? no in, in uh, minnesota oh really for the she, pipeline for, protest where, where we were for Earhart, minnesota mm-hmm. not even an hour away jane fonda flew in on a plane to complain about fossil fuels well yeah and dude, then got you know, on the plane and flew back you don't drive come on <laughs> <laughs> see that's that's one of the really interesting things is it like if you looked into the soul of jane fonda if you wanted to do that you'd probably see some good intention there but somebody who spent her entire life having money right so totally. you and I think about going to the store, I'll take my car or I'll ride my bike. She's like, oh, I'm going to the store. I'll take the jet. I mean, that's just what she thinks. Well, right? she doesn't think that. 
she thinks I'm going to the store, I'll buy organic food. Right. Problem solved. Yes. Doesn't think about anything else. No. That's that that's the George Carlin, the great prophet George Carlin, yep. the great philosopher yep. George Carlin, where he talks Wise about sage. where he talks about and he said this back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Environmentalists don't care about the environment. They just want their immediate space clean. Mm. That's all they want. So it's like OCD. It's just they don't want to change their behavior. Yeah. They want you to change your behavior so their space is clean. Right. He was saying that back in the 90s, and he's dead on. Oh, absolutely. You I know, mean, That's why we call him the great philosopher and not a comedian. Yeah. He was a comedian when he was alive. Now he's a philosopher and a prophet. Yeah, I was going to say a prophet, a historian. You know, he's like Plato and Socrates. So crates, man. George Carlin and The Simpsons and professional wrestling probably have shaped me more than anything. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the triad. That's like the, the, the three pillars of the Jason stool right that's, there. That's, <laughs> what, I mean, really, that's, that's what, what props shaped up. my life. It shapes so many of our lives, man. Well, like I, told, I say it all the time, if it wasn't for Gorilla Monsoon, I wouldn't know half of what I do about anatomy. I mean, that guy, he knew more, he, he knew more about anatomy than, than in, anybody that I've ever gone to the doctor about. You know, it's funny where we get our knowledge. For me, it was comic books. If I it lo- wasn't for the figure four and leg lock, I wouldn't know what a femur is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what else do we got. Let's see emails and events. We can get to that uh, today if we got time. Have you been following? Do we get USA Basketball in the news coming up? Uh, let's do that. Okay. So, oh, you mean the team that just lost? Yeah. Okay. Let's. Let, well, it was. Well, there's two because they lost to Nigeria and yep. then they lost to Australia. So, um, I it's Olympics, so we can bypass our. Let's try to save Friday for the new for sports. You know. Right. But there's some things I want to talk about with that. Meaning that um, I I don't think that the world is catching up to the United States. I think the United States is becoming entitled to where the world is going ahead of the United States. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is going on. Absolutely. And it's being reflected by the U.S. basketball. That's the uh, little 5,000 existential Mm -hmm. energy view I want to have with USA basketball because – they remember it was the dream team. Oh, I remember the, the original dream, dream team. Was team. they were never going to lose a game. In fact, they weren't even going to get within seventy points. Nigeria, they beat by seventy points. Yeah. Carmelo Anthony scored thirty-six points in fourteen minutes against this Nigerian team back a few years ago. <laughs> well, when it was Coach like, K was there. Okay, let's get into it. Later. Yeah, yeah. All right. It was like watching the NBA All Star game. The other thing, too, which I wanted to throw out there, I don't think we have time for the existential energy portion, but another thing I had written down is, um, hey, where are all the American freedom fighters? Which ones? Well, just people that, you know, like freedom. Mercenaries or? Well, when you take a look at the EV vehicle, Mm -hmm. that's really uh, more dependency on non-freedom. Your little tirade last week about Americans and how they love their freedom through their cars. Yeah. That really got me thinking over the weekend because um, I went down to the lake for the day and I spent the weekend, uh, actually for two days, uh, with uh, a Tesla, no, uh, Audi. 
Oh, okay. E-tron. Yeah. E-tron owner. Is that one of those hybrid electric cars? Nope. It's full, full on, on electric. Full on electric. Full on electric with the manufactured noise to make it sound like a car. Right. Just like you can't have a salad, you got to make it look like a burger. <laughs> That's right. That's I, how much we can peer pressure you. I, well, you. You salad man, you better make it look like a burger so you can put the same preservatives that Chef Boyardee has in there. <laughs> I read somewhere that one of the reasons they were doing that on some cars was because they were so quiet, they were afraid people were not going to know they were coming. No, that is actually the reason it's the the office did a spoof on that where he drove under five miles an hour so he was able to creep up on dwight when they had their duel and and so he was able to pin him up against the hedge or the wall or whatever but uh we actually so do you remember how we were going to do tails tesla tails yeah tails of the um, tesla the uh gentleman whose name sounds like a motorcycle Mm -hmm. was the one giving us the tails from the tesla yes mr mitchell well he's fired He's fired He's because fired. his wife does a better job. <laughs> when she was talking about the conversation that she was having with her girlfriend mm-hmm. that also owns an e-tron, I looked at her and I said, I want to put a microphone in front of you and just let you go because right. what you're talking about is what connects with people. Yeah, put her on. I said, I looked at her husband. I said, you're fired. <laughs> you're in. Uh, so we're going to sit down with her and she's going to talk just flat out. She's not from the oil industry. Okay, she works, she comes from corporate America, so she worked in corporate America for 20 years, left corporate America to join her husband's small business where they do water management, recycled mm-hmm. water, and all kinds of different water. It's a water management company, so she's in industry now, Yeah, but she's like an office manager, sale, you know, just... Up here, water is a big thing for ag, for oil everything, and gas. Everything, everything, yeah, and so she, she knows the energy industry to a point, mm-hmm. knows ag to a point, but better, knows corporate speak better than... I'll, I'll, well, I'll never get corporate speak down. Right. Oh, five minutes... Five seconds into a corporate meeting with the six executives, I can see them shut off and start playing solitaire in their head. They probably got the Google glasses right. going where they're playing free sell instead of listening to my been dumb chipped, ass, man. Right. So uh, we're gonna have some tales from the from that. But anyway, the um, freedom fighters, you know, just people that were talking about the freedoms and uh, you know with COVID and just the masks and all, you know, it just seems like. Um, are they silenced? Did the government kind of silence them by paying them off? I'm well. I mean, or, I, I hear a lot or of people. Social media just drowning everybody out. I think that's more likely. Take a look at what's happened in the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. The, the government took over the market. I mean, you, you you mentioned the nationalization of oil and gas. You're not a kidding. No. I mean, it's it's getting to the point to where it might look different than like your third world country doing yeah. it, but it you know it might be something more like how Saudi Aramco you know where they basically just they bought it essentially they yeah. outright bought it from the British American Petroleum and then they turn around and they give it to the companies yeah yeah they say you do this you do this yeah. you check with us yes, first but we own it and yeah well because it's you know it was it's 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 the state it's the number one employer in the country, obviously, you know, and it is the main revenue generator. So it makes sense for that kind of country. You got one really great resource. You wanted people in power to control it, Mm -hmm. right? You're 6,000 princes. We got the same thing going on here. It's been some interesting meetings and emails and all kinds of stuff going on uh, here at the uh, crude life. And as we continue with the industrial forest studios and uh, some events that we've got coming up, uh, let's see. What else do we have coming up? Let's see. We've got... Uh, yeah, are you the, taking uh, a trip anytime soon? Oh, or are we kind of done for the summer? 
Well, we got Orphan Wells coming up. That's right, Orphan Wells. Coming up in the second half of this program. Loved his movies. Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. He's the chairman of the board. Uh, he's, to me, he's becoming the expert now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the Washington Post just did a story on him last really? week. Yeah, on Orphan and Bannon Wells? Well, and they, they go to him now. Yeah. He, he, well, you because know, he's like us. He's out there just doing it. Well, you think about he's it. doing it. Six months ago, we're both learning about... I mean, we knew about or, Abandoned Wells, but we're learning about the distinction between Abandoned and Orphan and all this and that. And now I'm looking at it as this is going to be... This is going to be that way that they're going to keep people working. Yeah. While they take over control. Again, they have the power. Sure. They they say, hey, here's some wells over here. Mm -hmm. Here's five. We'll pay a seven mil piece. Go. Dude, you and I should get in on this. What do you got to do to cap some wells? Get some gravel, some cat litter, what? Well, you need old three-wheelers. Okay. And then you need... (laughs) ATV. Remember the old three-wheelers? Oh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's... um, Yeah. Lots changing, lots going on. Orphan wells, I you know you've seen a lot in the media, of course, and then now the government subsidies are going to come in mm-hmm. for it, and I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic between the nonprofit and the profit. Oh yeah, because Curtis Shuck started out for profit, mm-hmm. and he got forced to be nonprofit. Now, if he's got a force to flip back to become profit again, because that's the way that the marketplace is going to go, I you know that I'm going to ask him that actually if that's if that's part of the. Uh, you know, it's expensive to be a nonprofit, listen, man. It and, is and Curtis Shuck, expensive. He, not only is he one of the best in the business, but he came from the port of Vancouver and the commodity side. So mm-hmm. he knows commodities on a global supply chain better than most. So the port of Vancouver up there in Washington, yeah. Washington, they go to Russia and China. Right. Okay. He was in charge of that port for years. And then they put him out in Williston when the oil boom happened of some other grain. So he ele- went from ocean to landlock. But <laughs> but there's still water there. Yeah. And yeah, he's just all kinds of different angles when it comes to, you know, getting trucks, trains, Logistics. planes, automobiles, John Candy, yep. <laughs> Steve Martin. <laughs> Are you talking about Canadian bacon that reference better be there? Pillows. <laughs> heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com The Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws All natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives They love what we do in oil and gas and all profits go to the dogs That's Chewy Paws Check out their website ChewyPaws.com That's ChewyPaws with a Z.com The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. 
Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. Oof, I'm just sitting down here and... Got your coffee. Well, that one commercial. Got on. I forgot the one commercial is about 10 seconds shorter than the other one, so that's the one that was on last week. back to the week. microphone. Well, that's how we do things here. We do have some timetables still. Folks, welcome. We got news we're going to do here in just a second. We have Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation coming up in the latter part of the program the second half of the program the work card part of the program oh boy all kinds of stuff happening and uh where else we got here let's see let's probably get to news let's just get to her all right man well let's start here with some ap news this is uh associated press associated press this is talking about the not just the permian region but headline reads boom in native american oil complicates biden climate push Okay, so on oil well pads carved from the wheat fields around Lake Sakawina, hundreds of pumps jack slowly bob to extract 100 million barrels of crude annually from a reservation shared by three Native American tribes. About half their 16,000 members live on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation atop one of the biggest U.S. oil discoveries in decades. North Dakota's North Dakota. Bakken Shale Formation. Yep. Drilling Rush has brought the tribes unimagined wealth, more than $1.5 billion and counting, and they hope it will last another 20, 25 years. So they're talking about uh, burning of oil from tribal lands overseen by the U.S. government now produces greenhouse gases equivalent to about 12 million vehicles a year, according to an Associated Press analysis. But Biden exempted Native American lands from suspension of new oil and gas leases on government-managed lands in deference to tribe sovereign status. So a judge in Louisiana temporarily blocked the suspension June 15th, but the administration continues to develop plans that it could extend the ban or make leases more costly. And we're starting to see this. I think there's 12 or 13 states now that are uh, actively supporting Louisiana to try to overturn this ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, well, you know, North this, Dakota just sued last week too. This is one. Yeah, they joined it last mm-hmm. week too. You know, this is one of those things where you know, again, I I totally appreciate trying to take care of the environment, but when you if you're going to allow some, but not others, you're really just picking favorites at that point. What's what's very difficult 
is to have a conversation about Native American empowerment. It is. It's very difficult because for whatever reason, and I'm not being political, white people do not understand it. Because even when we try to do things like, hey, go build a casino, that that seems to become all of a sudden corrupt, Mm top-heavy. And I don't even care about that. My issue is is that you're not actually empowering anybody. You're just creating a bunch of minimum wage jobs. Yeah, you're creating a bunch of service industry. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a service industry. Yeah. And so you're not actually empowering anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. And Native Americans need to be empowered. Okay, they need their point of view out there because, oh, by the way, they should be the leaders in the environmental movement. You want to talk about environmental stewards. Yeah. When Christopher Columbus came... To America in 14 dickety two, was it 1492? Is that I right? Think it was, yeah, 1492. I wanted to see if my memory was still holding <laughs> strong from what. Well, you were, you were you were young back then. So when Christopher Columbus or when Europe came here, when Caucasians came here, what they saw was not wild. Was not you know was not just wild growth. Mm. That was well maintained land by the Native Americans who were very aggressive about it. Yeah. Some places they they would hunt the elk and the deer to the edge of extinction, not to extinction, yeah. but to the edge. Yeah, and they'd also use every single part as well. It was necessity. I mean, they, they drove would, them. They would do controlled burns. Yeah, they would understand that controlled burns brought back fresh green grass which brought the elk and the deer and mm-hmm. the and the the mammals to eat otherwise you would just have forests and decay on top of decay on top of decay and then when what ends up happening is there something like i don't know 2000 lightning strikes a day on the earth one of those lightning strikes hits a whole bunch of Whatever. Right. And a wildfire starts. Yeah. And when a wildfire starts, the reason that the wildfires are so problematic versus a controlled burn is because when you have the decay on top of decay on top of decay that burns, it becomes so hot, it sterilizes the ground. Mm-hmm. And when you sterilize the ground, now you got to rely on birds and poop and wind and Resets bees. the clock, basically. It, and, totally it, resets right. that clock. And you don't know yeah. what's going to grow there. Yeah. All of a sudden, it could be some GMO crop, and now Monsanto owns it. Well, and in the time... Or Bayer, whoever owns right. Monsanto. <laughs> Can you believe some company bought Monsanto? Sorry, go ahead. No, they must have been like, we're not going to tell anybody, right? <laughs> Wait, there's a bigger Godzilla? <laughs> they, they set up a shell company to buy Monsanto. They no, didn't want to be tied to no, it. No, son. Kinger Kong is over there. <laughs> King Kong is yes, the baby. He's the baby. So anyway, what were you going to say? <laughs> Sorry, before I got off on that little remember tangent. Now, so, okay, we should probably get back to the news story. Well, maybe, you know, huh? okay, so uh, the uh, chairman of, uh, so Chairman Mark Fox. Oh, it's Mark Fox. Mark Fox is on here. He's a big fan of Johnny Green. Yes, he is. That's yep. right. So he's quoted as saying, we're one of the few tribes that have elected to develop our energy resources. That's our right. We can develop those resources and do it responsibly so our children and grandchildren for the next 100 years have somewhere to live. So here's what they did out there that I saw, because I was out in Mandaree for mm-hmm. when uh, Crestwood... And the CEO is out there, and I mean, all kinds of CEO of Crestwood. That, that was almost like a public-private partnership, okay, to where they wanted to invest in the future. So they came up with a Head Start building for children. So they invested in children. Mm-hmm. This Head Start building was nicer than their trailer of a hospital. 
Right. Okay. Their clinic was literally a trailer with a uh, with with a ramp that looked like it was made out of pallets and OSB boards. Yeah. Okay. And probably was. And it probably you know, but was. You got to spend your resource points where you can and educating totally. the young. So with the, and all of a sudden this Crestwood um, and Mandaree and the, and the MHA Nation and mm-hmm. um. They came into this thing together to where they had to invest in each other. That's why I liked this, because the oil and gas company said, we want you to invest in us, and we will invest in you. Yeah, Let's go into this together. That's why it took a while for these things to happen is because you had to you have to find the people that are like-minded right. all the way to the end of intentionality to say... We want to start with the kids. That's why I was really impressed with Crestwood on this. They did one of these uh, Michael Scott things too, like we want to pay for everyone's college education when they all graduate, or something along those lines. It was something like that. I want to. Well, you that's know, not exactly what it was. But. The the thing here too, and this is going back to what you said about how complicated it is to talk about Native American environmental and oil and gas stuff. Is you have a lot of tribes that that for whatever reason, mainly because they don't have the resource, you know, they're left out of that boom mm-hmm. um, or all they have is a pipeline that goes through their land or something like that so and we've got the first native american and uh, department of interior head in history right so she's having to struggle you know kind of balance these things but deb holland right I believe, uh, yeah. holland h-a-a so what you've got is a situation where in a lot of cases you know like mark fox the chairman mark fox was saying is that you've got they've got a resource They've spent 100, almost 150 or so years basically, you know, living off government handouts because we forced them to. So you are Caucasian. Yes. Okay. But you did live in Saudi Arabia for the majority of your your formative life. I was a minority race in that country. But you understand what it's like to have power and also not be in power. Yes. And and so you can kind of, basically, you've walked in other people's shoes. Yeah. You have, as have I. Okay, I've been working since I was 10 years old because yeah. of just, we came from a family not of money. Yeah. So if you order, wanted something, you got that paper route. Paper and, route yeah. and, and paper routes were like farm chores yeah. every day. Every day. Every day. Well, yeah, it was like running a small business at 10 years old. Well, in that, this meeting I was in this morning, that's what we were laughing about, how uh, essentially I've been cash flowing my life since I was 10 years old. Yeah. So when people try to tell me about different you know ways of running business and cash flows, I look at them like, okay, where do you put risk management into that? <laughs> and they look at me like, what's risk management? Right, what's and I'm risk like, management? oh, that's right. You're part of the new generation. <laughs> there is no risk um, anymore. But okay, so but what I wanted to get at is I basically, honestly, I'm not Native American. I've never lived with Native Americans. Mm-hmm. I've done my best to be open and accessible and use my resources that I've had in the media to share those yeah. along. Try so to I, do no harm, basically. I, I, right? I've done my part to try to connect, okay? Yeah. But in no way will I ever walk in their shoes. No. So imagine being, and by most uh, Caucasians, I know what I know through pop culture. Right. So, you know, uh, you know, Wounded Knee, Lost My Heart and Wounded Knee, great right. movie on yeah. HBO, that yeah. type of thing. But when you look at what the, what the message has been in movies and pop culture from Native Americans through my lifetime, it's been that the white man, essentially, or the U.S. government, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to phrase it on which day, yeah. because they, they say both. Mm-hmm. The natives have said both. They removed them from the land that created fruits and 
and and and empowerment yeah. into places that couldn't grow anything. Yeah. Like, and then even when they found gold in the Black Hills, they put them in places that didn't have gold or that could grow places. Yeah, so that was a huge. They, they, they just they, snipped the treaty at that. They point. keep moving them to places where yeah. there's no value in the land. Mm-hmm. Now imagine this. Okay, imagine this. What a lot of people don't understand about oil and gas, that's a harvest under the soil. Sure. That is no different than farming. Right. You're reaping. <laughs> You're going to do it again? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> You're going to do it again? I know. Well, that, and that's, that's the thing. And that's, Come on! That's why this becomes a real interesting case study on how we handle oil and gas and energy because what they're talking about here two miles under the earth they're going <laughs> to harvest some actual empowerment they're going to take it away again well li- listen to this today leaders of the three tribes in the Bakken area view oil as their salvation totally. and they want to keep drilling before it's depleted and the world moves past fossil fuels this is one of the hardest parts in um, second and third world countries where we've advanced to the point where we're going oh wait plastic bags are bad you know, we, we, we got rid of paper because we wanted to save the trees, and so we made a billion plastic bags. Well, you go to a third world country, they don't have the option. It's plastic bags, right? And we're telling them, you can't use plastic bags anymore. Right. They're like, well, what else am I going to use, right? So we're at this sort of bleeding edge of what we think is right and how to be stewards of the planet, but we've already done all the bad stuff, and now we're turning around and telling other people you can't. Right. So... Just like, how an does entitled, that, just like, like an entitled person. Well, I was going to say, it's like trying to tell your 15-year-old kid how the world really works. If you expect that they're going to listen to you, you are crazy. I've got part of my speech on that um, for the long-winded version. Oh, there's a longer-winded. Well, and we've talked about it somewhat a little bit on yeah. this, is, is the complex system. Uh, a teenager is a complex system. Oh, man. Just like the environment and the climate. Yep. So Contradictions. You're, you're going to tell me that you're going to give me a model? You're going to give me a pie chart and a flow chart and some word cloud? Mm-hmm. Actually, probably the word cloud would probably be the closest thing to it. Yeah. But it's well, Real synergy there. Well, the word cloud is probably the closest thing to our, our brain, yeah, actually. actually, in, in yeah. Part, yeah. But um, I don't want to get lost on that. But so many people who work, you know, in government and appointed officials and, and that sort of, they, they think that charts and check boxes and that sort of stuff is the way the world works. Mm-hmm. When in reality, we've got complex systems out there that we don't even understand. Yeah. We do not understand. And so try, trying to figure out the complex system of how the Native American politics works and keep jerking them around that mm-hmm. way we, we've been jerking them around when in reality... We're trying to now go back to what they had in 1942, or I'm sorry, in 1492. 1492. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what it would be like to walk in their shoes. No, absolutely not. And that's no why, one, I no, mean, No just, wonder they got tar, uh, pitchforks right? and, and, and torches. <laughs> You know, and I'm not even talking about the Native Americans either. I'm just talking about the people. This would just be another example, like you cited, where uh, we put them on land that's a desert. We never, we're never going to give you anything for this land. You can live the rest of your lives. Oh, there's uranium there. We're going to need that. Or there's gold there. Or right now, go over to that land. Yeah. Okay. 
Now we've depleted all those resources. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's water under there? Yeah, we could use that. Well, that's what kind of, I mean, yeah. Anyway, let's yeah. not get into that whole deal. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what's what's the conclusion of the story? Are they are they just talking about how there's a, there's a fight and that's it? Yeah, basically that it's a fight and that, uh, you know, you've got a real uh, difference of opinion just within local tribes, you know, but it usually mm-hmm. comes down to who's got the resource and who doesn't, right? Which is, again, sort of a case study in how this all works. I, I've been following the MHA Nation, Missouri River Resources for 10 years. And the reason we've been following them for 10 years is because I truly believe they're doing ethical energy. Mm-hmm. I really believe that because when you can go out there and you can talk to the people who are not in the industry and they're talking about how they're actually having real opportunity for their family, you change your mind. Yeah. And then you go talk to somebody who's worked at the casino for 20 years and they want to just end their life yeah. because it's the same repetitive, blink, 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 yeah. you know, just the, yep, the, 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 the new pit boss yelling at them for yep. this reason and the new regulation coming in and all of a sudden now they can't wear their bow tie in a certain way because it offends that Gotta person. Got to have more bling. Oh, man, right. Not enough flair. Yeah. You got the minimum. Well, okay. What's the difference between a, a service job where you'll have no chance for growth and it's basically just repetitive motion for the rest of your life or the opportunity to grow in a business, right? Weren't you telling me, is this one of the tribes that, that's got that uh, school set up down in New Mexico? So the MHA Nation um, works with Missouri River Resources. Okay. okay. Missouri River Resources is the private company that's trying to do a top-to-bottom Native American secretary, ca- uh, frac chemist, right. fisher, CEO, yeah. Well, that's, that's what Saudi Arabia. That's what Saudi Arabia wanted to do when they when they took over Aramco. Right. And that's why at the time everybody that was National American Pride. thought they were going to get fired. Is they figured they wanted to start moving Saudis into those positions. But you know that's a good case study too. Is that took over a decade. I mean, there wasn't just a huge let go of expats, Americans, and Brits. And no, stuff. you couldn't just say you're gone. We're putting new people in. But but even then, and I'm sure I, I can't speak for Saudi Aramco because I've never talked to him about this. But I have sp- spoken to other organizations where they've tried to do a hundred percent, just a flip like that. <laughs> they end up rarely doing the hundred percent. Yeah, they usually stop at like ninety because they find out it's good to have that ten percent of diversity to keep us. Uh, you know, keep us kind yeah. of a checks and balance, if you will, with culture. Yeah. Just so our culture, we don't get so whack with our culture that we don't understand how to connect anymore. Well, you know, well, living Saudi Arabia is starting to let women drive. Yeah. That th- there's a prime example. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the last time I was in Saudi Arabia was just when cell phones were starting to become commercially available and you knew that was going to be the end of it because they, at that point they had controlled cable TV and inbound stuff, but uh, cell phones, once you opened up that ability for women to be able to talk discreetly to other people, you know, I mean, that was it, man. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how it changes, but all of that comes from the oil and gas that Saudi Arabia has. So I did want to mention one thing too. Mm. The first females to compete publicly in front of a crowd. That's right. Came from the WWE, That's baby, right. in Saudi Arabia. Yep. Look at WWE ushering in culture. <laughs> 
Well, that's the inclusion side, and you know, if, if you're lower than NASCAR, you're, you've got everybody. Well, you you've know, got everybody you, yeah, from you, the CEOs to the guys who live on rascals. I looked at it as it's an ambassador program. It totally it, is. It, it's a it's a cultural exchange. Well, that's they actually have ambassadors yeah. there, and that's uh, to yeah. be honest, that's why we started having ambassadors uh, back in 2015 is because they did. Mm-hmm. It was I saw what they were doing and saw what we needed to do, and so that's why we started the box and bridge was we started the ambassador program back then with kids and we you know because we knew that was the next generation and that was bringing kids from the east side of the state to the west side just right? educating and wearing yeah, yeah. Right. And even even into minnesota yeah. with uh, the lakes country because what you hit five states with the lakes you know and and so during the summer you do at least yeah. you know 45 minutes from yeah, from fargo say, we got ten thousand or so right around the corner so man. anyway <laughs> but um we got a few minutes till curtis shucks so we should probably get to that uh ramco story and then um, oh yeah so ramco is getting ready to sell off is planning to raise tens of billions of dollars by selling more stakes in its business so if you remember a couple of years ago they went or they were looking to go in public so the Saudi Arabian state-controlled firm created a new team to review its assets, and soon after the coronavirus triggered a plunge in energy prices, Aramco raised $12.4 billion by selling leasing rights over oil pipelines to a U.S.-led group of investors. Sales will continue in the next few years, and this will happen irrespective of any market conditions, said Aramco. They're aiming to generate double-digit billions of dollars. So they're talking about, you know, it's interesting because Aramco is spent the last 20 years as far as i know really looking into what's the end game so here's what i've heard from ramco in the last month a uh, ramco hydrogen yes and now they're selling what now they're selling well this is like pipeline access is what they're selling they're selling petroleum yeah essentially yeah so mike renfrow with blue boat subsea who worked in the oil and gas industry for 20 years 28 years sorry 28 years uh, over the course of one year, went from 100% oil and gas to 85% wind. Really? Remember? Yeah, that's right. And and his 15, I think it was 90% actually, but his 10 to 15% of oil and gas was decommissioning pipelines. <laughs> Senator Kramer said, don't be surprised if we don't have another pipeline built. And I think that was prophetic because I'm really surprised if we build another one in this What did country? TC Energy do last week? They put out a $15 billion lawsuit. Yeah against the government because of the amount of money they've invested in building that pipeline. Yeah. What is it? It's half built? Yeah. And you're just going to leave it now? Mm-hmm. What is this, the world's fair? Yeah, well, what's the impact of that just sitting out there, I too? mean, right? So, I mean, there, there's some... There's some this transition yeah. is being ramrodded. That's I go back to, where are the freedom fighters here, man? The world of capitalism and empower we can't even empower native americans anymore i mean this is they're they're the change is happening so fast that i think too many people are golfing and and going to you know buying new boats and partying to where i don't think they see what's happening here i'm i'm kind of surprised honestly the last six seven months it's it seems like uh leadership has kind of gone to sleep on it and i just got to believe that with the api uh, coming out at the beginning of the year with carbon pricing and stuff like that, that again, this was not, this was a, a plan in the drawer, just waiting to come out. And folks, sorry about how we're going to abruptly end the news, rumors, and newspeak segment here during the morning show. We've got important got our, people on the phone. We've got Curtis Shuck about to join us here via Zoom. So we've got to uh, make sure we change gears there. But I do want to get back to that story. No, we about, can talk about that all year, man. About the Olympics. 
Oh, yes. About the the USA team losing yep. again. Yep. Nigeria and then well, Australia. I, keep in mind, I did sports talk for mm-hmm. 20 years, so I do know all about sports talk. And we always did the existential sports, you know, and so we bring existential energy to the yeah. to, that That represents so much Absolutely. of what is going on yep. right now, how the best in the world that our country can provide can't even beat Nigeria in basketball. This is not the world is catching up to us. This is us entitling, dumbing down the country to them. That's what's going on. Our momentum. We're just coasting on momentum and they're catching up. All right, we're going to be back in a bit with Curtis Shuck. Till then, we'll catch you later, folks. Sweet little honey pie down by the sea. You know how to look and who you want to be. There's nothing better than a Personality. Yes, you know the waves like you know your skin. Feel them flowing over you again. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely, you know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration that this is Obama Biden 2.0 plus. And the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, The Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of Americas. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? 
you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing when I think sometimes it's just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company? And we pull in an electric car. So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at Whiting, our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. That Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. And uh, boy, last time we spoke, you had great things going and you had some momentum. And now, boy, you've exploded. I mean, you've got different states you've got going. You've got equipment. You probably got employees probably now. We got a few of those happening. <laughs> We're still very much a you know a volunteer-based organization. I mean, I'm a... I'm a volunteer, and um, but we've got uh, you know we've got a research project going on in Montana Tech, and so we've got a summer intern, and we've got you know a number of people in various positions uh, within the organization that are helping us uh, get this thing going. So we're super excited. Oh, I didn't realize you were a volunteer. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, and a lot easier that way, right? So (laughs) we should probably mention what the Well Done Foundation is, and and uh, you know how you guys go about doing things. And I mentioned in the in the last hour that uh, initially you started out trying to be, I think, for profit, if my memory serves me right. And then there's the marketplace directed you to where you're at today. Yeah, we certainly found Jason that it was much easier, uh, much more succinct story to just go the nonprofit route and, you know, creates a safer space. And so, you know, the Well Done Foundation is a 501c3 uh, organization that's uh, recognized by IRS as a a charitable uh, educational foundation. And so, um, you know, we're, uh, our, our whole program is about, you know, really taking action and, uh, and, making things happen while we're really moving into this educational aspect of uh, our work as well, which is super fun because, you know, like last year we started uh, curriculum for third graders and, um, you know, now we're uh, branching out not only in Montana, but uh, really in Louisiana and Pennsylvania. So that's an important part of our mission is in delivering the narrative. I got two questions and 15 others, but um, what what do you mean third grade curriculum? Explain that a little bit. Yeah. So what we do is we've got an orphan well curriculum where we talk about the history of the oil and gas industry and you know all of the good things that uh, that it's delivered over its its history, and you know sort of what an orphan well is and how they came to be, and what our role is in um, in helping to to fix the problem. And so with that, uh, we've got as I mentioned a curriculum that we've developed, and that also does include a hands-on portion, kind of a little science project 
where we have the students uh, work with us and we actually uh, plug a plug a well and they get to go home with a little mini uh, plugged well bore and uh, and kind of an exciting time and so that uh, curriculum is something that we're uh, doing and uh, taking as I said on the road with us uh, to these other operating areas and uh, we'll you know have that available. Uh, in those areas as well to to work with the third grade classes and in in uh, parishes in Louisiana and in uh, our county partners in Pennsylvania. So obviously, you've seen a lot of the national exposure when it comes to the orphan wells and abandoned wells. Uh, coming all the way to where, you know, we've got Congressman Armstrong and I think even Kramer or Hoven have even signed on from the other side with the uh, Regrow Act. Are you, you're obviously familiar with that, I imagine? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, boy, you know, I look at it from a couple different angles. Uh, you know, one is, you know, the, the whole subsidy thing and controlling the marketplace and, and really kind of... Uh, that side of things is, is one angle. The other one is, you know, obviously the, the, the feel-good angle, which is I don't know anybody who's not going to agree with this. Um, but then I wonder about, like, you. You know, I mean, you started out, you know, with this almost like you were way too ahead of your time. And so now we're starting to come back to where, how, how do you fit into something like this? I mean, is this something where you can be a, a, a leader with the government to say, listen, I've been trying to do this before you guys got got smart about this, or are they just going to use the private companies and 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 use it like that? Um, uh, I yeah, I, talk to me a little bit about you know from your angle how you're looking at this regrow act because I do think it'll go through. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, I, I mean there's a role certainly for the Well Done Foundation to continue to play in in a lot of different areas. Um, you know, again, Jason, we're, you know, to date, we haven't accepted a single dollar of taxpayer money. And, and we're super proud of that. We think that there's a market based solution to uh, the work that we're doing. And, but there's no silver bullet, you know, there's lots of, I mean, there's more, there's more wells than there is money, and certainly more wells than there is people right now to, to get the work done. And so, you know, uh, one of the things that we're pushing uh, very hard for is to have a measurement component to all of this work that's planned, because anything that's worth doing is worth measuring. And to just go out and and uh, plug wells, while we know it's going to provide some level of benefit, you really need to be able to express uh, quantitatively what that benefit is. And so... You know, we're working uh, very hard with our partners to develop this measurement technology. And this isn't, you know, we're not talking about, you know, satellite uh, technology or drone technology. This is individual at the wellhead technology and, and, uh, and a methodology to really describe what's happening there and what the good work that we're doing provides in terms of benefit and we all know that that it works that you know gas on gas off right we plug a well the, the methane stops so that's awesome uh, 
but it's really the ability to describe what we're what we're really talking about in terms of methane volumes and um, you know, and one thing that we found is it is very unique and very individual on a well-by-well -well basis. And that data can only be collected at the wellhead, period. There is no, you know, you can get close. But, you know, one thing we're finding in our pilot project here in, in northern Montana, where, you know, we have today about uh, almost 90 wells uh, that are, uh, actually over 90 that are in our study group and, and, uh, and, you know, part of our program where, you know, we're almost to 10% of those that we've plugged already. And is the fact that, you know, each one of those has a pretty unique signature in terms of its emissions. And, you know, it's not a flat line or a straight line. There's all kinds of variants. And, you know, the one thing that, uh, that we have, proven unequivocally during this, you know, during this uh, project and in the prairie specifically is how much of an influence uh, the wind has, interestingly enough, over the open well bore in generating additional emissions. And so before that was always a bit of a theory. Now it's uh, now it's scientifically proven. So anyway, uh, I guess all that to say that, you know, we think that the Well Done Foundation and others like us have a significant role to play as we're continuing to move forward. And, and you know, we're looking at, you know, developing kind of a whole new program in terms of workforce. Um, it's not just about displaced oil and gas workers, um, you know, participating in the plug-in abandonment. Uh, surface restoration side, but it's all of this measurement and monitoring that goes on over the the course of the project, which can be as much as six to nine months. Remember about a year ago, we were having some conversations about a number of different industries and, you know, how they're ushering in the, you know, new green deal and just some of these different aspects. And, you know, a rational person will take a look at, you know, our dependency on fossil fuels and say, you know, we're at about a 90 to 95 percent daily basis dependency on fossil fuels. You know, any, every, pretty much everything outside of what we get from the sun, uh, you know, and um, well, because a lot of our water, we got to use different uh, forms of petroleum and fossil fuels in order to get it to our, 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 our house and our lips. So in order to decrease it. You know, down to like an eighty percent. That's a that, that is like monumental for for my lifetime. You know, if I live another twenty, thirty years. So when you take a look at how something like that be done, you know, we, we were just kind of hypothesizing about. Well, take a house. Well, you'd tear down an old house and then you'd rebuild a new one and this and that. So we went through. Okay, so you'd have a team of demolishers. You'd have a team of recyclers. You'd have a team of builders and then a team of cheerleaders. Because remember, you got to have the cheerleaders at the end to uh, tell you why it was a great idea. So I said, that's probably the future. And so when I'm looking at kind of what's going on with these wells, what you just described is kind of that formula where I think that might be a lot of what we're looking at, a lot of kind of a demolish, recycle, rebuild, and educate. You know, I mean, not, not, not so much cheerleading, but educate. Absolutely. It's such an important, it's such an important, you know, component. And, 
you know, what I love about this uh, project and this initiative is that, you know, here's uh, just an amazing opportunity for the industry, uh, the oil and gas industry, to own the narrative and to really be a part of, you know, getting this story out there. It's not about how we got here. It's about where we're going next and how we how we make things better. And that's what's so cool about, I mean, for instance, this uh, third grade curriculum that we're developing is the fact that, you know, it's really about, you know, taking responsibility and, and you know, doing what you can do as an individual, whether you're in the third grade or you're in your 30s or you're in your 30th year of your career of making things better, you know, doing your part. And if everybody just would do something, imagine, you know, what an impact it would have. And so, um, anyhow, that's the, you know, that's kind of the, the bottom line of it. And, and we're, like I said, excited that, um, you know, we've got industry leaders that have, you know, kind of embraced this approach. And I think you're going to find that, you know, more folks are hopping on board with this and it's not a, you know, it's not a bad thing at all. It's, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean, it's becoming a social license to do business and, and having some awareness and, and certainly some level of platform and, and, uh, it can be positive. And so what a great opportunity again for, you know, for the, you know, our industry partners to really get involved in something that can make a difference as well as it's just such an awesome story. I almost feel like we should have a buzzer or some kind of, you know, sound effects when someone mentions the word social or governance or environmental, <laughs> because that's how we transition into the ESG talk. And so uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, you know, the, the, we're, in, we're in the development phase and the infant stages, that sort of thing. We've done an ESG event. We, we went ahead and uh, took all the steps necessary that we needed and, you know, and then we submitted to the, to the global, I have no idea if anything will ever come of it, but went through the necessary steps, you know, and that sort of thing. Cause we're still in the infant stages. Things are going to change, but what you guys have going is an obvious answer for an oil and gas company to put something in their ESG report, which my understanding next year, they're going to be required uh, by, by most of the majority of the banks in 2022. So, uh, what what have you got in the world of ESG? Where's your head at? Are you are you ignoring it? Are you paying attention to it? Just talk to me a little bit about it. You know, it's a it's a ship that sailed. That's for sure. And you know, it's important that uh, that we understand that again is an expectation. Uh, it's an expectation, as you mentioned, of of, uh, you know, the finance world is going to be an expectation of customers. Um, you know, that demographic is changing and, you know, to be able to talk about and, and, and not talk about, but show what we're doing to, you know, to, to take steps to make it better and, you know, whatever it is. And again, whether it's, I, I just had a call earlier with some folks from Montana tech and, what we were talking about is, it is you know, think of it like, uh, you know, electricity, um, you know, conservation and ways of reducing your electrical footprint. You know, you always start with things like, you know, uh, making sure that you've got, you know, 
like uh, the the lowest uh, emitting bulb or the you know sort of the energy efficient uh, components in your home and looking at ways of turning off the lights and turning down the heat. Well, you know, in the oil and gas industry, those are things that sort of that conservation approach is kind of the easiest, lowest hanging fruit. You know, making sure that you know you're you're tied at your wellhead or your compressor stations or that your you know your tank batteries. I mean, all, all those things are kind of easy steps. And then the next is that, you know looking at you know getting involved in these various projects that really do have a positive impact and. You know, again, that's what's so cool about, you know, the Well Done Project is that, you know, we're plugging wells, uh, orphaned wells, and that don't have, you know, anybody who is uh, any longer responsible for them besides the states who typically are sort of overrun and underfunded is that, uh, you know, these have an immediate impact. And it's awesome. It's like, you know, gas on, gas off. And we can measure the amount of gas and we can do the math on on how much emission we're removing and it's quantifiable and you know it, it it that is what's so exciting about this project and not that there aren't other really good projects out there in the ESG space but this is so immediate uh, you know and again in this world where we uh, really are kind of being tuned into this you know immediate results and and you know uh, immediate gratification so this is uh, this is uh, one that certainly aligns with uh, you know all of those important benchmarks of being able to show uh, tangible and immediate results and you know that's that's what's amazing and we and the story is so powerful too of, of you know the the charismatic uh, component to the work that we're doing and you know not that these other projects aren't worthy for sure you know growing trees and and you know looking at these various and sundry other projects that are out there are also important but very few of them have the type of deliverables uh, in terms of scale that that our project um, is able to deliver and so we're excited about you know where it's headed and really excited about again what you know the industry can do to embrace this uh, and and be a part of it you know for so long it's been like uh, and I think I mentioned this before you know every state's dirty little secret and you know I applaud, uh, you know, the state of Montana, and I applaud the state of Louisiana and the state of Pennsylvania at the highest levels for coming out and, and jumping on board, you know, with our project. I also, you know, appreciate folks like the Marcellus Shale Coalition who have understood the importance of, of the work that we're doing and, and are looking at getting involved. And I think that there's just so much opportunity and what a great way, again, for us to own the story as opposed to somebody else trying to tell it on our behalf. It's funny you brought up the tree planting because that was the exact example I was giving over the 4th of July. We were at the uh, Earhart, Minnesota parade. We were spraying recycled water on the kit. Uh, well, it was water, but we were saying it was recycled water. We were yelling, fresh out of the porta potty, you know, that type of thing. Parents <laughs> like that joke. But uh, we, we were explaining that, you know, really this, 
tree, the industrial forest, we're planting trees, but it, more than anything, it's a marketing and awareness opportunities. And now that we're partnering with the cities to where we can turn it into parks, it becomes a long-term uh, solution. And, and we were going more from the education side because at the end of the day, a couple trees planted, that's, that's very small in the bigger picture. What, and I would always go to your example of there's guys out there plugging wells. Those are the ones that are really doing solutions today. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that, that is a big deal where, you know, some people are expecting instant results and other yep. people are expecting the hubcaps. They, you know, they, they, they want the nice, shiny, you know, hubcaps and the window dressing because there's a purpose for both. There's a purpose for both, although we can't turn our back on the immediate either, you know, that sort of thing. So um, how are people getting in touch with you guys if they want to do this or are you getting in touch with them? You know, it's a combination of the two. I mean, we've been very uh, blessed that, you know, uh, we've received a lot of uh, attention to our project, you know, from, you know, some of the earlier press all the way up through, the, and I don't know if you saw that, you know, Washington Post article that I sent over to you, but there's there's been a lot of attention on this issue nationally. And, and of course, we're fortunate to be, you know, kind of in a, in a thought leadership space with this. And so, um, you know, so people are reaching out to us and we've seen a, an, a huge outpouring and we're so appreciative of that support. And, you know, I absolutely uh, return every phone call uh, a little behind on the email here since we've been flooded after this last Washington Post article. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that it's there's a personal touch there. And, you know, everybody's situation is different and everybody has, you know, varying needs. And what I love about, you know, where we're at today is that we can accommodate. You know, we're pretty creative and uh, we can put together a program that's going to work and fit and feels good and, and uh, it's something that everybody can be proud of. And, you know, Jason, you bring up a really important point. And I, and I mentioned this earlier. There isn't a silver bullet. And, but it is important that people do maintain, you know, this diverse portfolio uh, of solutions. And to your point exactly, you know, I, I certainly – uh, not belittling or demeaning the importance of, you know, these uh, forestry projects because they're super critical in the long term. Uh, and they offer short-term results as well. But, you know, looking at looking at this holistically, I think we're finding that many companies uh, are doing things in, in numerous spaces simultaneously because they see the benefit of it. And so, it's it's exciting stuff, and there, you know, gosh, the whole carbon market thing is a discussion that we could have for you know several subsequent shows because there's so much change that's going on there now as well. But the good news is, is again, it's just taking that first step and doing something, and I don't care what it is, but uh, whether you're buying your first climate benefit unit from the Well Done Foundation or you're looking at, you know, some level of offtake agreement for, you know, a period of time for, for you know, numbers of tons. And um, we offer kind of everything, like I said, from a, from a single credit to, to multiples. 
I just find it interesting, and I always tell people that, you know, start with whatever your budget entails. And if there's zero budget, Meatless Monday in the office, or uh, what's what's some of the go go pick up a city park, you know, go go do something where there's going to be a sense of accomplishment, and then that'll parlay into other you know positive things that you can do, and and pretty soon your your mind will start going other ways, and and it just it it happens and it percolates, and and like you said, the small steps to get started. And that's the thing I like about it, because there are entry points for everybody. There's entry points that don't cost anything, and there's entry points that, you know, hey, I'll take a million dollars, you'll take a million dollars. I know a lot of people out there that'll take a million bucks. So there's all kinds of entry points out there. Uh, I think where you separate from the pack, and for those people out there wondering what they should do for their ESG report, where... Mr. Shuck here has got a great advantage over everybody else, in my opinion, because I've been covering this now for 10 years, is that you've got the curriculum. And so when you've got the curriculum that's going to help set and educate and awareness for tomorrow's leaders, that, that to me is head and shoulders above what everyone else is doing. And um, kudos to that on, and also getting out to the different areas. How's that being received by the educators, by the way? Is there anybody that's, you know, I mean, Seattle, Washington, three, four years ago, they, the educators were using children and, you know, putting fake oil over them because their retirement fund was connected to fossil fuels. So it's, you know, are, are educators okay with it? Any politics bleeding into this or? Well, it, it certainly, you know, uh, varies from region to region. But, you know, in, in these areas that have such a rich history in the oil and gas industry, and, you know, we'll take, you know, Toole County, Montana as a prime example. You know, the first, uh, we're just about to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the first well being spudded here in Toole County. And, you know, there's a there's a connection. There's while the refineries are all gone, there's still, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of people in this county that are employed in the oil and gas industry. There's there's evidence all around of the of the contributions, uh, positive contributions that uh, that the industry has delivered. And what an important story to tell. So. Absolutely, it's an important component here. Same, uh, we're finding you know all across the U.S. And so, from the in your in your point, you know the folks uh, in education have really, especially during COVID. I mean, that was what was so fun this last year is, you know, everyone was just hungry to to get out of the classroom and to go and and explore. And so, as we started to launch our you know, our curriculum here in Northern Montana, it included, again, the, the classroom aspect. Um, uh, but then we also organized a couple of field trips where we had uh, literally kids out in the, the field with us uh, on Earth Day. And they witnessed the, the, you know, the activities around, you know, plugging orphan wells. And um, we're just hopeful that, like I said, that we can use that same platform uh, in these other areas and really get out there about, again, not just, you know, the, the history, but then the opportunity to make a difference by just doing one little thing, right? You do one thing today that makes it better than yesterday, then everybody did that. Amazing that uh, what that impact could produce. 
You got time for a quick uh, 101, abandoned orphan differences, what they are? Sure. You know, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, an orphan well is is an interesting, uh, it's certainly an interesting cat. You know, it's, uh, it's a well that has no uh, financial assurance associated with anywhere. The operator is typically gone out of business. Um, and in, in these uh, generally are located in uh, fields that are kind of low producers or also referred to as stripper fields. You don't find too many orphaned wells that are operational in the Bakken or in the Permian or in the Marcellus that are actually sort of in that in that zone. They typically are acquired pretty quickly. But these are ones that are, you know, think of it like end of life cycle. And, you know, producing a barrel, half a barrel a day, a couple barrels maybe. And, you know, so they just go, they go fallow. And what happens then is they become the wards of the state, essentially. There are other uh, wells out there, and certainly the, the Regrow Act talks about that, talks about not only orphan wells, but also the the idled wells and idled wells are defined as wells that have been, you know, non-productive for, uh, for more than four years or five years or various and, and sundry, uh, criteria around that. But, um, you know, and these are wells that are just not producing anything. Many of them are leaking methane and some are literally wide open. Like we're talking open casing, uh, venting freely into the, you know, into the atmosphere. Others have well control on them. Um, they may not be tight, but uh, so there's sort of those all uh, variations of that, but that's the, that's the problem. So in addition to the orphan well number, then when you add the, the idled well number on top of that, that number grows by a factor of almost two. And I know in, for instance, in the state of Montana and in Toole County, for instance, uh, there's a significant number of those idled wells and uh, that can be can really pose a problem. So, you know, opportunities that are being presented like this, uh, like the Regrow Act and others that are out there are really going to be important to to making a difference. And again, what's so cool about this is that, you know, it's it's fixable. It's not rocket science. You you know you plug and abandon a well, restore the surface, and by golly, guess what? That gas signature is gone away. And how do you define an abandoned well? So you know, an, an abandoned well, the, the the term abandoned is often synonymous with an orphan well. Um, you know, an abandoned well again is somebody who doesn't really have any financial responsibility any longer an idled well or you know industry term is probably more shut in uh you know many states have uh, a term limit that uh for an operator to to be able to maintain a well and shut in status uh should they exceed that term then typically the the uh, oil and gas uh regulatory body would issue a a plug or produce uh, mandate, and you know the operator then sort of goes into this program of you got a fish or cut date, 
And uh, so that's that's where the you know kind of that idled or shut in well is the the abandoned well or the orphan well. Those are people that again, or excuse me, those are wells that just don't have anyone uh, who's responsible for them beside the state. And again, the state doesn't have the dollars or the time or the resources, the people resources to really address those problems at scale. You know, Montana is fortunate that they don't have. Uh, a significant number, uh, but you know there are states like we're working in now and really focusing on Pennsylvania, Louisiana, Kansas that have thousands and thousands of these wells, and it's just it's overwhelming. And so that's uh, Jason, where our approach of you know one well at a time, and we can really make a difference um, by you know taking on that approach. Absolutely, our program and projects are scalable. But when you break it down to say, look, we're going to address this, just like how do you climb a mountain or eat an elephant, right? One step at a time, one bite at a time. That's how we're addressing this issue is one well at a time. Do you guys, does it matter if they're shut in, abandoned, or orphaned for you? Well, our our program is specific to orphan wells. Okay, so these are ones that, you know, no operator, and, and we don't even know who the landowner is or the mineral it's just wards of the state, huh? Yeah, and it's it's very clear cut. There's not a you know, there's no question about the status of the well and kind of its condition and and you know so uh, it, the the narrative or the story is very clean. Yeah, and yeah, that's our approach. And so yes, we end up uh, you know doing all of that research and uh, and coming up with a plan and presenting that to the state for action. Yeah, that's thankless work, and I don't think people understand the amount. Well, it is. I mean, the amount of research that goes into it and just, you know, the nonprofit status, like you said, you're not getting a check and and all these other things. There's a lot that goes into it, and that's on top of what needs to be done to plug it. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of people out there, you know, moving heavy machinery for free these days. So, I mean, you you got to keep the cycle going, you know. So, um, hey, um, excuse me about that. I had a little coffee burp there from earlier this morning uh what what are what's the message you're trying to get out to people i uh we'll link the washington post story great story talking about some of the work that you guys have going on uh specifically following uh you at a well so it looks like they had a photographer out there huh oh yeah no it was great they were on location with us for a couple of days during one of our recent plugs and really got a chance to see, you know, firsthand what's uh, what was going on in terms of the amount of emissions and the amount of work that it takes. And, you know, what's so interesting is that, uh, you know, that's the, the fun part, uh, which is the, the plugging uh, portion because you got all the equipment and roughnecks out there doing their thing. But uh, to your point earlier, the, the really the unappreciated field of endeavor uh, is all of that work that goes on in the front end, which can be, as I mentioned earlier, as much as you know, six to nine months in duration of the thankless late nights and early mornings and out there in all kinds of conditions, you know, measuring and monitoring and moving equipment around and and talking to the prairie dogs and uh, you know antelopes that are running mm-hmm. by and it's. Uh, it's uh, it's really fun though when we get to that point, and so yeah, the fact that the that the post, um, you know, assigned a team to that story was super cool, 
we were fortunate that the reporter was uh, Nick Eli was based in Bozeman, Montana. So he really came at it, I think, with a, you know with a heartfelt approach of, hey, let's let's give let's really show what we're doing here. And he, as you notice in that story, wasn't really about casting blame. It was about focusing on the solutions. Well, do me one favor when you're going into your third grade curriculum classes in Louisiana, Pennsylvania, Montana is currently where you've got some activities going in and to another state soon, I'm sure. Uh, you know, we've mentioned about the whole carbon aspect of, you know, we can go into a different podcast and that and, and absolutely probably even do a whole podcast series dedicated just to, to the way where, where carbon is going. I do worry about, though, the amount of fear, anxiety, and just the existential kind of anxiety that's going on in the world that we're not going to, you know, boogeyman and demonize carbon, which is the building block of life, into the big evil, you know, empire type (laughs) thing. So is anybody even having that conversation? (laughs) Oh, you know, there are definitely some folks that are out there you know that are sort of pushing that uh storyline ahead but you know i think everybody you know pretty much understands that that's a non-starter i mean you know we're not going to take those huge steps backwards like that it, certainly we can transition for sure and and get better i mean think of it like process improvement right i mean we should always be focused on that but uh, yeah, to just turn flip that switch off is pretty unlikely. Yeah, I just I just worry that the word carbon is becoming such a boogeyman to these kids that um, they don't understand that it's you know it's an essential part of life and that you know we, we can't be can't be so quick to group things I guess. So um, anyway, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot more to it than just the energy and the education. There's also unfortunately just some of the reverse social engineering i guess that needs to be done on some aspects too but um different podcast different day uh okay sir so how can people get in touch and give you some money well we sure appreciate the opportunity jason and we just encourage folks to you know to go to our website at uh, www.welldonefoundation.com and you know, check out our news page for the latest uh, activities in the press and what we're doing. We've got, you know, a list of orphan wells. And then there's uh, obviously a pathway uh, to donate. And I would also say is just as important as, as donating is also volunteering. And uh, we're, we are very much, uh, you know, uh, a action-based organization. There's lots of things that folks can do. Um, and it's, it's kind of cool when people decide that they want to get involved at that level and come out and get a little, you know, dirt under their fingernails and help us out when we're restoring uh, an orphan well site. When it's time to put the booze down, find us some solid ground, clean this damn life up and turn it all around. Back to the
Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws, all natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs, USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's Chewy Paws with a Z.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spees. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Robert Bryce, author, journalist, and public speaker. Absolutely, it's an absolutely key issue, though, Jason. And and it was a point that came up during the my you know my testimony and under questioning. I think it was uh, Representative Gonzalez from from Illinois asked me about this very issue. And you know, I'm I'm going to be 61 this month for almost all my adult life. Uh, all of my adult life, rather, the focus has been on OPEC and the worries about foreign commodities and that the U.S. cannot be dependent on foreign commodities, most particularly on oil, right? I mean, this has been congressional action after congressional action aimed at OPEC. And now, at the same time, the U.S., the shale revolution has fundamentally changed America's energy fortunes. The move is afoot. Oh, well, we're going to we're going to trade our. And I wrote about this 10 years ago, 11 years ago in my book, Power Hungry, as I did with EVs. We're going to trade our dependence on foreign oil to uh, dependence on foreign commodities that are controlled by China. And in my testimony, I made this very point in the written testimony. China controls something on the order of 90 percent of the world's supply of rare earth elements. They control something like 65 or 70 percent of the cobalt, 30 percent of the nickel, more than 50 percent of the lithium, 40 percent of the copper. All of these are critical elements, critical materials that are needed for EVs. So there is not just an issue of, of cost. There's not just an issue of consumer choice. There's an issue of national security here and dependence on China at a time when it's really becoming very clear China is not our friend. And we have to be very careful about our international trade and where our dependencies are. You know, the more you understand about something, the more complicated it is. But it's already apparent that when it comes to the EV, that the materials needed to build them at scale, it means a a near total dependence for many of these commodities on China, which I think is not bashing China. I just think it's a bad idea. To listen to the full-length interview with Robert Bryce, author, journalist, and public speaker, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Now, for a limited time, the owner himself, Mr. Mike Lindell, has granted us here at the Crude Life a favor by offering his premium My Pillows to the Crude Life listeners and the community for his lowest price ever as a way to say thank you to the American energy workers and their families for their essential and hard work. You can get a $70 queen size premium My Pillow for only 30 bucks. That's 69.98 for only 29.98. Visit My Pillow or call 800-598-4268 and use the promo code OTIS. That's O-T-I-S. For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in Western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. 
Trust, First International Mineral and Land Services, and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.
interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.